Shalom. Welcome to another episode of Inspiration from Zion. I'm Jonathan Feldstein, and I have the privilege of being your host, coming to you from the Judean mountains here in Israel. I like to refer to it as the original Bible Belt. Inspiration from Zion is a program of the Genesis 123 Foundation, whose mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new, unique, and meaningful. I pray that you will find this, all of those. Through this program, we are excited to connect you to people and stories in and relating to Israel to give you a window to look through, experiencing aspects of life here that you might not otherwise know about. We want this to be interactive, so please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com and send along any questions and any comments about any topic, anytime. Or you can reach us at genesis123.co or follow and like Inspiration from Zion on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stay tuned until the end of the program when we're also going to be sharing some exciting opportunities for you. And please feel free to share this with people who you know who will also find it of interest. Today, I am especially pleased to share with you an incredible dialogue called The State of the Relationship Between Jews and Christians. This program was recorded previously as part of the Inspiration from Zion webinar series as an event in memory of one of the greatest bridge builders between Jews and Christians, especially from the Jewish side, Rabbi Yechiel Eckstein. It's a long program with several deeply personal reflections from Jewish and Christian leaders who knew and were close to Rabbi Eckstein, and an insightful keynote address by M.K. Avi Dichter, the former Minister of Internal Security here in Israel and the head of Israel's intelligence agency, the Shin Bet. You may not have time to listen to it all at once, but do make time to listen to it all. You won't be disappointed and you will be inspired. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jonathan Feldstein. I have the privilege of being your host today and also serve as the president of the Genesis 123 Foundation. Our mission is to build bridges between Jews and Christians and Christians with Israel in ways that are new and unique and meaningful. And today we're doing that, but we're doing it in a way that truthfully I didn't ever envision. Um, it's, it's hard for me sitting here today with a little bit of a, remembering a little bit of a sick feeling and, and sense of disbelief that I had three years ago. Um, I recall Rabbi Eckstein with tremendous reverence and respect and affection. And I know I'm not alone in that. As I was finalizing the details for today's program, I was really overcome with a sense of responsibility that we, that I and we have here today to pay tribute to and honor such a great man, a pioneer building bridges between Jews and Christians. I believe that anyone who works in the field formally or informally of building bridges and Jewish-Christian relations works to some degree in Rabbi Eckstein's shadow. I know I do. That goes for those of us who had the privilege of knowing him and for the many, many others who didn't. I don't take this opportunity or obligation lightly. Less than two weeks ago, I was having a conversation about something else entirely with Joel Eckstein, and she mentioned that today is the third anniversary of Rabbi Eckstein's death. The, the yard site, the, the Hebrew anniversary was this past week. And very impulsively, I said something to the effect of, well, let's do something in his memory that honors his legacy as, as the pioneer that he was. 
building bridges between Jews and Christians. And I'm truly humbled by this opportunity and honor. And I'm grateful for everyone participating today and who helped behind the scenes and offering their appreciation and support. But I have to admit, it's a huge responsibility to do something in honor of such a great man, to think that I might be involved in sufficiently honoring him, his memory and his legacy. And as I was thinking about some of the details to finalize for today, I kept coming back to the idea as if I am in the place of the chazan, the prayer leader during the high holiday service. There's a particular prayer that the chazan says, not in the plural, that as, as so much of our Jewish prayer is on behalf of and leading the community, but this particular prayer is in the singular on his own behalf, Hineni. The Hineni prayer, the Chazan stands in front of the congregation, but basically is having an intimate one-on-one -on -one conversation with God, asking for his prayers to be received favorably on behalf of the community, despite any personal shortcomings. The Chazan prays that even though he may have personal faults, God will accept his prayer on behalf of the community. And I kind of feel that intensity now, standing or rather sitting in front of you with an enormous task and privilege to honor the legacy of Rabbi Eckstein and praying that in, the, in organizing this and throughout today's program, that I and we will do justice to that goal. And I don't take that lightly at all. It would be a gross misrepresentation to imply at all that Rabbi Anexian and I were particularly close friends. That's the case with many who will speak here tonight and share their personal reflections. And of course, many others who are not able to join us due to the fact that we only organized this a week and a half ago. His death is a loss for all of us. And as always is the case, much more so for his family. I know that everyone here today and who will watch this after joins me in wishing them continued strength and comfort and that his memory will not always be a blessing, but a guide for them. But I can truly say without any exaggeration that on every occasion I had the privilege of being with Rabbi Eckstein, interacting with him, speaking with him, or even just waiting to board a flight together occasionally. And even in our emails, he was always kind, thoughtful, engaging, and sincere. And I know it wasn't only the case with me. He had a special way of making people in his presence feel that they truly cared about him and that he was engaged in their lives. And that's because he actually was, and he did. That was reflected in the outpouring of grief at his funeral three years ago, something that's still very hard to comprehend, and the outpouring of love for him and for his loved ones since. It's reflected in the fact that an event like this can be organized in under two weeks and have the participation of so many people from all over the world from such diverse backgrounds and many, many others who couldn't be here because of the short notice. That includes some of us staying up as one of our participants said past our bedtime so that the others in the US can join us after church 
And that is a reflection of the love and respect for which we all have for Rabbi Eckstein. As much as I know we're going to discuss some very personal and meaningful reflections of Rabbi Eckstein today, I also know that we're only going to scratch the surface. We have several Jewish and Christian leaders with us live, others who, who were unable to join us live, but sent videos, and many others yet who sent notes of respect and affection. We all have different memories of Rabbi Eckstein, and I will always remember his smile, not just because it was beaming and present so often, but because it exuded his personality and the joy with which he lived life and did what he did. Today, I envision him and his smile up in heaven as one of God's trusted advisors. And I realized that maybe with the world as broken as it is, maybe God just needed him as we each remember him, and I hope each undertake to do acts of kindness on his behalf, elevating his soul, I feel his smile beaming down upon us. Last week, my brother sent me a picture of a cloud nebula, 1,344 light years away. He said that the light that we see now and that he was able to take a picture of emanated from that nebula in the year 678. I don't think that it can be said for all of us, but I feel that 1,344 years from now, Rabbi Eckstein's memory and his legacy will still be remembered, even if not literally, even if not the actual beaming of his smile and the joy that he exuded. We won't be here to know for sure, but we can commit, and I believe we do commit today in some little way to continue to elevate his soul and magnify his legacy. With that, it's a pleasure to introduce our first speaker who will share some personal reflections. She's the deputy mayor of Jerusalem. You can unmute yourself. Flor Hassan Nachum, who has become a dear friend, not just of mine, and it's always a pleasure to have her on board with programs that I'm doing, but also as a friend of Rabbi Eckstein and the leader of Jerusalem that you are. Welcome. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And I wanna say hello uh, to all my friends here, especially my great friend, Joel Eckstein, who has done such an incredible job of taking the spirit of Rabbi Eckstein's legacy forward by helping the most vulnerable in our communities. Um, and here in Jerusalem, we feel the impact of her work helping really the most, the most needed, needy people in the city. And so we're very grateful that she's keeping that light uh, going um, and we see the results of it in our city, helping our people. It's, it, it's actually, it, it's very difficult to think that it's already been, uh, you know, these years that have passed without Rabbi Ekstein, because in Jerusalem and in the whole country, as you said so beautifully, Jonathan, we do feel the impact of his work. But more and more, I believe what we see in a very difficult world right now is the bridges that Rabbi Eckstein built with the Christian community are more important now than ever. And that infrastructure that he built is something we cannot take for granted in this very divisive world that we're living in, where people are trying to take the Jewish people and the Christian people and bring divisions amongst us. And it's the pioneers, the people like Rabbi Yechiel Ekstein, 
who disrupted the relationship and said, no, there's, there's a way that we can build bridges and create a situation where the Christian community in the United States and beyond is supporting the state of Israel. And what I wanted to say before I, I share a little anecdote of my time as a friend of, of Rabbi Eckstein is that, you know, we just had the portion of the week, the Parashat Shavua, Truma. Truma, which means in Hebrew tithing, or it also means um, donating. But it also, Truma, the word Truma is also uplifting. And I think it's very appropriate that we're having this memorial for Rabbi Eckstein the week after Truma, because Truma in Hebrew also means to uplift. And I, and I believe that Rabbi Eckstein understood something which our sages have told us and with the Prussia shouts out. And that is that donations and donating and being part of contributing to the state of Israel is not just about the money. It's about the engagement and it's about creating something together. When you create something, you are more invested in it and you believe it's more valuable. It's, it's psychology. So the creation of this new relationship that he cemented, that he was the glue of, that creation is not just about the contributing to incredible causes like Holocaust survivors and needy people, but it's also that creation of the relationship and the bridge and the infrastructure of a brighter future for, uh, for, the, for Jews and Christians, ultimately the people who are embodying the, the Judeo-Christian values in the world. And I just want to give one little example of Rabbi Eckstein's incredible engagement in every detail of the incredibly large organization that he built. And that is, I was one day um, approached by a, a lady who found out that there was about 25 girls sleeping on the streets of Jerusalem, young ladies, young girls, who were sleeping on the streets of Jerusalem because they'd been kicked out of their houses, because it had problems in their families or because they were abused. And they were sleeping in park benches or even worse, they were being taken in by older men. Um, and this was a really terrible situation. And I didn't know what to do. I, I was completely desperate to, to be able to help these women. And I wrote an email to Rabbi Eckstein. And within 20 minutes, he was offering me his house to, to I don't know, Joel, what you thought of this, but he was offering his house to, to put these 10 of the girls and maybe find another house for another 10 girls. And I said, Rabbi Eckstein, you don't have to go this far, but help me with this organization that's gathering them in. But the fact that he took everything, so he was such an empathetic person and took everybody's suffering so closely to his own heart to show to me that everything he did came from a place of, um, of, of bringing um, something new to the world, something better to the world to correct the different, the suffering that exists in the world. You know, people can reflect on suffering, but Rabbi Eckstein took the suffering and turned it into productive solutions to help. And that is something that is a story I will never, ever forget that generosity of spirit, that mensch kite that it was. Um, and so I'm privileged every year to be invited to his memorial service and may we remember him and the kindness that he brought to the world and the repair 
that he brought to the relationship between Christians and Jews for many, many years to come. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fleur. It was a pleasure. Um, another, another, another good friend uh, who's, who's also joining from Israel today is Bishop Glenn Plummer. Um, in 2020, Bishop Plummer was appointed, well, uh, acceded to his appointment that was made in 2019 as the first Bishop of Israel from any, not just from the Church of God in Christ, which he represents, but from any evangelical denomination. Uh, Bishop Plummer joins us from, from just outside of Jerusalem, and it's uh, always a pleasure to have you here with us. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, and it's an honor to be here with you to Joel. Uh, you know, it is very special on this uh, uh, February 6th that my wife and I can, we wish we could physically hold your hand, uh, but we're holding your hand virtually uh, with you and, and saying that uh, as much as uh, we know that you're still, uh, it's still a difficult time. Uh, we still extend our love and condolence to you. And uh, it's interesting that uh, when Yaquil uh, made his transition, uh, it was on February the 6th, but that according to the Hebrew calendar was uh, the first day of Adar, Al-Adar. And uh, this year, that was last Tuesday, I think, and my wife and I, uh, spent a couple of hours with uh, his daughter Yael, and uh, and so we extend our love and and uh, and condolence to uh, to Yael and to well all of his children, and and so uh, uh, please know that that's from our heart, Joel, and uh, thank you for allowing us to be here with you. Uh, some of my memory uh, goes back, uh, starts maybe 16 years ago when uh, now, you know, when we're we're public. He would call me at that time. I wasn't a bishop. He called me Pastor Plummer. I called him Rabbi Eckstein. But uh, we were always on a first name basis. And uh, and I could never say his name quite exactly correct. I said Yaquil. And uh, but then when he said it, he added the huh. And, uh, and every time I tried to say Yaquil right, uh, he just looked at me and he kind of chuckled. And uh, But we were always on a first name uh, basis. And now, some of the things that I remember about him, first of all, we, we co-founded an organization together called FIBA, the Fellowship of Israel and Black America. And that was in 2006. We were both co-chairs. And Yaquil, if I may refer to him in the rest of my comments, actually had a burden to see Black America uh, connected and united with Israel as well. And so although he had this broad outreach to uh, Christians and really under rather consistent criticism over the years, uh, he was steadfast and unmovable. And he saw the uh, American black community uh, key to building a relationship. And he, it, was, it was really, uh, we at about a year, first of all, we hosted this big event, thousands of people in the audience, two big choirs, a Jewish choir and a black choir, black church choir. And Yaquil and I both had tuxedos on and we were on this big stage. And, uh, and that was one of our first public events that we hosted, big name artists, recording artists. And uh, we became very close. And he asked me if I would go to Ethiopia with, which I'd never been. And I said, all right. And so we together went to Ethiopia. Uh, he, I, and, and uh, a small camera crew, 
And I remember the night before, so we went, we went up to the northern mountains of Gondar, uh, and the whole point was where the Ethiopian Jews, uh, several of them were making Aliyah from Ethiopia to Israel. And so we, we traveled with them. We went to travel with them from the mountains down to Addis Ababa. And the night before uh, this uh, group left, I remember, and I, I will never forget, uh, my family was kind of being broken apart. In other words, the, 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 the husband, his, his wife and children were leaving and he was staying behind. And, and I remember looking at Yaquil and he just began to weep. And, uh, and everything we were doing, we had cameras following us. And, um, and uh, even on camera, uh, he was still very, uh, very comfortable with himself. And, uh, and he was so sensitive uh, most of the time in, uh, uh, especially with the Ethiopians, that they were very close to his heart. And he wanted to see many of them make Aliyah. And he did a lot of sacrifice to make that happen. Um, uh, maybe a, several years later, he encouraged our denomination, the Church of God in Christ, top leadership to come here. And I think, Joel, you were on that trip with us. And, uh, and so was Yael. And, uh, and there was about 20 of us. And we came here to Israel. And this is what really was the seed that caused uh, now this 115-year-old organization, six and a half million members in the United States, in 113 countries, to decide... Uh, the very month that Yaquil made his transition in February, three years ago, is when the Church of God in Christ made the decision to formally embrace Israel, to have a jurisdiction here. And it was that very month that I was asked to be the bishop. It was in February of 2019. Same time, I think only like two weeks later. And I was already so moved because of, uh, of, of Yaquil's death. And so the timing was so strange to me. And, uh, and so here we are now in Israel, living here now a year and a half, and I only can take my hat off uh, to, to Yaquil Eckstein. When I say only, not the only person, but I'm taking my hat off to Yaquil and his memory on behalf of the Church of God in Christ. We salute him. We love you, uh, Joel, and uh, all the family, and we thank God for the memory of, uh, of Yaquil Eckstein. And... Uh, Thank you, uh, Jonathan and, and Joel, for giving, giving my wife and I. She's on there uh, with the red, uh, even though it says the name Glenn Plummer. Uh, that's Ruth Pauline Plummer. And, uh, and so we, we are so grateful to uh, be part of this celebration. And really, it's celebrating uh, his life. So thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you for joining us, Bishop Plummer. Uh, before, we, before we move on uh, to our keynote, I just like to quickly share my screen and we're going to hear from Knesset member and former mayor of Jerusalem, Nir Barkat. In addition to inspiration from Zion, another Genesis 123 Foundation program, Run for Zion, is the first program uniquely for Christians centered around the Jerusalem Marathon, creating meaningful, and lasting experiences. We look forward to having you be able to join us in person soon, but now are offering you a way to connect from wherever you are in the world through virtual tours, webinars, and briefings. For information or to register, please go to runforzion.com. 
Join Run for Zion and bless Israel with every step. Shalom, everyone. I'm honored to be a dear friend of Rabbi Eckstein, Zichro Livracha. Rabbi Eckstein is a very special, dedicated Zionist Jew that was able to bridge the love and care of people from all over the world that were willing to help and focus that help to the needy. Rabbi Eckstein was an inspiring figure, focusing on making a difference. And I could say as mayor of Jerusalem, working closely, collaborating with Rabbi Eckstein, was inspiring and fun. And we were good friends together. Rabbi Eckstein made a big difference for hundreds of thousands of people, if not millions, in the, in the state of Israel. He's been able to get out of the box and create a methodology that is second to none. We miss you, Rabbi Eckstein. You're a dear friend. I will never forget you. And I want to thank you on behalf of all the people of Israel and myself for your dedication and tremendous job that you've made. Uh, Knesset member Nir Barkat was not the only person who was unable to join us in person today, and we will have other reflections as well. Let me uh, take this opportunity to welcome our keynote uh, speaker for what, will, what I know will be a fascinating dialogue. Uh, Avi Dichter, member of Knesset and former uh, government minister, has been a member of Knesset here in Israel since 2006. He's a member of the Likud party, and he's also appointed in 2020 as, uh, as Israel's uh, representative to the Interparliamentary Union. From 2020 to 2021, uh, Knesset member Dichter served as chairman of the Special Committee for Overseeing the Fund for Managing State Revenues from the Tax on Profits from Gas and Oil. That's a long title for something that's very significant, especially in an era when we've discovered uh, tremendous amounts of gas off our, off our uh, coastline. From 2015 to 2020, he also served as chairman of the Foreign Affairs and Defense Committee. Minister, uh, uh, Knesset member Dichter previously served as Deputy Minister of Defense, Minister of Public Security, Minister of the Home Front Defense, and the Director of the Shin Bet, Israel's Secret Service. Born in 1952, Avi Dichter served in Sayeret Matkal, the elite Israeli Defense Force Commando Unit. Upon completing his military service, he joined the Shin Bet, the Secret Service, where he advanced from being a sky marshal to director of the agency. He held that position from 2000 until 2005, a period that included what's now referred to as the Second Intifada. Avi Dichter is credited with reforming the Shin Bet to effectively deal with his challenges, which led to a dramatic reduction in the number of terrorist attacks and to a restoration of public morale and safety. As somebody who made Aliyah during that period, I'm personally grateful. As Minister of Public Security, Avi Dichter built Israel's witness protection program and formed the Lahav 433, a national crime fighting unit modeled after the FBI. He helped gain passage for the communications data law, which governs how law enforcement can obtain phone records, 
and implemented intel electronic gathering of fast, accurate, and actionable intelligence. This led to the jailing of many of the heads of some of the largest crime organizations here in Israel. In addition, during his term as Minister of Public Security, he signed cooperation agreements with the United States Department of Homeland Security, Canada's Ministry of Public Safety, and ministries in several European countries. From, from 2013 through 2015, Avi uh, served as a volunteer chair of the Foundation for the Benefit of Holocaust Victims, which is especially meaningful uh, for him as the son of Holocaust survivors. Avi Dichter holds a bachelor's in science from Bar Ilan University and uh, an executive MBA from Tel Aviv University. He served as a research fellow at the Brookings Institute in Washington. He speaks fluent Hebrew, Arabic, and English. And one of the things that's really nice, in addition to adding to the long list of uh, professional and, uh, and, and state-run uh, attributes, uh, when we spoke the other day, I realized his biography was wrong. We have to increase. He is married with the son of, and, and the father of three children and not eight, but nine grandchildren. Uh, Avi Dichter, that's a pleasure to, to be able to introduce. Welcome and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jonathan. It's a privilege to talk to so many people from uh, so many states and uh, countries, Israel, the United States. And uh, Rabbi Eckstein always used to tell me, Avi, when you brief people, when you talk to people, the delegation that you used to bring to Israel, Christian, Jews, or uh, any other delegation, he always told me, Avi, don't forget, you live in Israel for many years, and you know Israel uh, as your palm. But remember that the people that you talk with or you talk to, they are not familiar with what's going on here and about very basic issues about Israel. So give them the facts. Right. And I, uh, with your permission, I want to do it today because I know that Joelle is watching me. And if I'm not going to do it, she's going to tell uh, Rabbi Eckstein that uh, Avi didn't do, didn't fulfill your, uh, your guidelines. And, uh, you know, because the, the state of Israel, uh, for many for Americans who live in the States, and uh, even if they visited the state of Israel, they're not familiar how big is the state of Israel compared to what's going on in the U.S. So we have a slide, uh, Raz, if you can put the slide, just to give you the impression, what does it mean, uh, the state of Israel in land? We are 22,000 square kilometers day and night, 22,000. Just for proportions, uh, for example, uh, Egypt, which is uh, near Israel, it's 1 million square kilometer. Uh, Saudi Arabia is uh, almost uh, 2 million square kilometer, even more. And uh, if you go state by state or country by country, you understand that the, you understand that the state of Israel is just a spot, a spot of 9 million people, amongst them 7 million Jews and a million and a half Muslims, Arabs. And uh, it's among an ocean of 600 million Muslims, east of Israel, west of Israel, north of Israel, and south of Israel. 
if we can see the slide, uh, I'll be delighted to, to give you the impression how it looks like. And uh, if there is any technical problem, uh, so that's the reds, that's in Florida, the land of Israel, the map of Israel in blue. And you can see just in Florida, it's less than 50%. If you move to the Middle East, if you move to the Middle East just to see the spot, the red spot, if we, if you see the red spot that we just, uh, the state of Israel at the red spot shows you how big is the state of, uh, of Israel in land amongst the green countries who indicates the Arab countries. Even just to write the name Israel, you have to borrow part of the Mediterranean, otherwise you cannot write it on the red spot. So if you see east, west, south and north, we are covered with an ocean of Muslim countries. And that's something that we have to remember because it's a, it's a threat before establishing the country 70, 74 years ago. And even today, uh, although we have more peace uh, treaties with Arab countries, it started with Egypt in 1977, continued with Jordan in 1994. And now we have the Abrams Accords that if we go forward and we can see what kind of threats are uh, existing towards the state of Israel by a non-Arab country, but, a, but by a Muslim country. Iran is a threat, is a very significant threat to the state of Israel. And Iran has a very uh, strategic plan how to gain more and more Muslim countries and Arab countries to be on their side. So they build two corridors, two axes. One from Iran via Iraq to Syria and Lebanon, which gives you the impression, what does it mean to be with a belt, a Northern belt, a Northern axis that goes from Iran a Muslim country, but a non-Arab country, and it's a Shia country and not a Sunni country, amongst the 1.5 billion Muslims worldwide, the Shia is only 10 to 15 percent. The majority of Muslims in the world are Sunnis. So when they started to build the northern corridor from Iran to Iraq, and then to Syria, and then to Lebanon, it's in order to build a chain, a northern chain, uh, north of Israel and north of Saudi Arabia. On the other hand, they moved south to build a southern corridor that goes from Iran, bypasses Oman, and uh, arrived in uh, Yemen. In Yemen, because there is a minority a big minority of Shia in Yemen, 
they're well known as the Houthis. And now the Houthis are launching on a daily basis rockets, UAVs, unmanned aircrafts, who are flying with bombs to Saudi Arabia and are hitting targets in Saudi Arabia soil. Iran, of course, is running uh, as proxies to organizations in uh, Gaza Strip, like Hamas, like Palestinian Islamic Jihad. So when you take it all around, you understand that Iran today is creating a threat, not just to the state of Israel, but even to some other countries. And when they decided two years ago to launch long range missiles, cruise missiles and the uh, unmanned uh, aircrafts with bombs into Saudi Arabia, uh, oil center, refineries, and destroy within less than an hour 50% of the capacity of producing oil by Saudi Arabia. That's a threat that, uh, by the way, the United States didn't respond at that time. And uh, it created some uh, significant problems among the Arab countries. What should they do? Uh, I think that the most uh, beneficial step that Israel gained from such a situation was the fact that some Arab countries decided to sign what is well known under the, the name Abrams Accords. And the Abrams Accords is a, a very significant new phenomenon between Israel the national state of Jew for the Jewish people and Muslim countries, Arab countries, that didn't happen before. And uh, when you take the Gulf countries, including uh, the Emirates, who are uh, built on seven uh, Emirates, and of course Bahrain and Oman, and uh, on the other side, uh, under Egypt with Sudan, so when you analyze what does it mean in the future terms, we are now in a situation of COVID-19 pandemic. So it's hard to predict what will happen. But once you have the chance to run direct flights from Israel to Australia, above Saudi Arabia, above uh, Oman, to the uh, Indian Ocean, to Australia, you can reach a line of aircrafts, passenger aircraft, to go straight from Tel Aviv to Sydney. It's a flight that takes the same time that you fly from Tel Aviv to Los Angeles. On the other hand, post the peace treaty with Egypt, and uh, after uh, creating diplomatic relations with Chad, we needed another country, either Libya or Sudan, to be uh, our uh, ally. Libya is a crash country, so we decided to do it with Sudan. And now we have diplomatic relations with Sudan, which means that we have the capability, and I'm sure it's going to happen as soon as possible. We, it means that we will be able to have direct flights from Tel Aviv to South America. Today, when you have to go from Tel Aviv to Australia or from Tel Aviv to South America, you have to fly to Europe which takes you a long, long time. And uh, it's uh, almost a whole a full day to go either east or west. So the Abram Accords, in addition to many other beneficial uh, issues, 
it gives you a very good opportunity to build relate good relations with those countries to build direct ties with other countries in South America and uh, in Australia, including economy. And I'm sure that once the COVID-19 will be a piece of history, and I hope it will happen as soon as possible, I'm sure that uh, we shall see and listen to different situations. For example, South America has a lot of people who are trying to come to Jerusalem, Christians who are trying to come to Jerusalem but going via Europe, it's very expensive. Once you have a line of 10 hours direct flight, I'm sure it will be a, a dramatic increase in number of people, Christians who are coming from South America to visit Jerusalem and the holy places in Jerusalem for Christianity. So these are the facts. Just before we are uh, going to talk about uh, Rabbi Eckstein, that uh, I think that uh, for me, you know, the, the name bridge builder is the best way to describe in two words, Rabbi Action. You know, even I remember one of my friends asked me, Avi, did you read the, did you read the book of Bibi? I said, I didn't hear that Bibi, Bibi is as well a private, from a primary school up until recently. I said, I didn't know that uh, Bibi wrote a new book. So no, no, the bridge builder. And, uh, <laughs> and I think that, that uh, when you read the book and when you hear uh, people who are talking about Rabbi Eckstein, including my friends who just talked from Jerusalem and other places, that's Yechiel Eckstein. You know, I remember uh, when we started to know each other it's, uh, 16 years ago, I was Minister of uh, Homeland Security in Israel. And unfortunately, we uh, were together during one of the uh, rocket strike from Gaza into Israel. And we arrived in uh, a small city, Kiryat Malachi. It's about uh, 40 kilometers uh, from uh, Gaza Strip. And it was a very heavy strike on this city. And three people got killed by a rocket that hit their uh, balcony. And uh, Rabbi Eckstein uh, told me, Avi, I, if we can go there, I'd be very uh, happy to do so. I said, no problem. And uh, we went together to the city of uh, Kiyat Malachi. We arrived there, just arriving near the house of the family that lost uh, her kids. And a siren went off, which means a rocket attack. And uh, I was looking for a shelter and we found uh, right away a shelter to stay with, stay in. And I just went to make sure that it's a safe place. And Rabbi Eckstein was in a total different mood. He started to talk with people. I was looking for a safe place and he was looking for good people to talk with. Now the people over there, they spoke Russian. They spoke uh, Amharic, people who came from Ethiopia. and. Rabbi Epson spoke with the Russian in Russian, with the Ethiopian in Hamari. I said, hey, how many, how many languages do you speak? And he, he spoke, I, I don't know where he mentioned to learn so many languages, but he spoke, they understood. And then we arrived in one uh, apartment that uh, 
it was very sad because they had the young people over there and they were sitting and uh, when we came in, they, uh, they asked for some help and uh, for in some issues. And Rabbi Exxon saw a guitar on the wall. He asked who is playing the guitar. And one of the kids said, I am, I'm learning. So bring the guitar, we shall play together. And he took the guitar. And you know, when I said that's Rabbi Eckstein in Israel, when you say a rabbi, the last thing to think about to think about is the guitar. And he took the guitar and he started to play on the guitar and they started to sing. And he sang very emotional songs. I'm telling you, people were over there with tears in their eyes. They said, we haven't seen such a rabbi in all our life here in Kirat Malachi. So I think that the, uh, the way that uh, Rabbi Exxon used to communicate with people is something that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to find. And it's, uh, it's something that you really ask yourself, how come that he knows how to communicate with adults, with men, with women, with children, in so many languages, in so many places, and uh, people are uh, hiding in a shelter, and people are working in another place, and uh, people of the electricity community uh, organization in Israel that he uh, visited there in order to uh, see some issues uh, nearby. And I'm telling you that uh, when I used to meet with Rabbi Eckstein, he was so uh, focused on things that he is uh, supposed to hear that in one day, I remember it was the day that his father was hospitalized in hospital. And we were uh, in a visit in the uh, power center in the south near Gaza Strip. And he told me uh, my father uh, was taken to hospital. Uh, I hope that he's uh, going to come out of it. And so Rabbi Eckstein, let's, uh, we can uh, make this visit in another, another time. We shouldn't do it today. He said, no, 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 people are waiting for me and I'm going to finish this visit and then I'm going to the hospital. And unfortunately, when he arrived at the hospital, it was too late. So uh, it showed you that Rabbi Eckstein, when he was concentrated on something, he put all his uh, mind thoughts and all his energy to learn, to understand, to hear, and to tell. And he knew how to listen, but he knew how to tell, how to criticize, and to listen to Yechiel Eckstein's criticism about things that he thought that are being done not in the appropriate way, it was a lesson. And uh, I must admit that in many cases, when I find myself thinking about something, I think what Yechiel would say about it. And uh, as a bridge builder, he, bu he built bridges, not just between Christians and Jews, between people from all over the world and Israel. He built bridges between Israelis. And, uh, you know, it's, I saw Yechiel Exxon with tears in his eyes, but I never saw him uh, frustrated from something.
he always thought how to be more optimistic on the way he thinks about things that should be done. And that's something that uh, he was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a friend. He was a family member. And he was a real, a real Zionist who loved Israel with all his heart. Thank you for sharing that. Um, as long as I have the privilege of being the host, I just want to dig a little deeper on, on, of course, your area of expertise regarding security, but you were just speaking so beautifully and passionately about Rabbi Eckstein. And, and I love the anecdote that you shared about his seeing the guitar in someone's house and, 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 uh, and how you said when someone thinks of a rabbi, they're not thinking of somebody who's going to pick up a guitar and play. But Rabbi Eckstein was known for many things. And, and when one thinks of a rabbi, and I would argue particularly here in Israel, one does not think of somebody who cares about much less builds bridges with Christians. Um, can you share how that impacted you? Yeah, it's, it's not a secret that you can find some communities, mainly amongst the Jews who are going to the extreme, that they don't like people who are trying to build bridges between Christians and Jews. It's a minority of people, but they exist. And uh, Rabbi Eckstein, he always said, I'm going with the majority and I don't listen to the minority. I know that's the right thing to do. When he used to bring people, Christians from the United States to Israel, and he told me, Avi, I want you to tell them the things that you've done under your capacity as a head of Shin Bet, uh, when you fought against uh, terrorists, when you fought terror attacks. And it's not easy you know, to tell people who are uh, coming from different uh, planets they're not facing terror attacks on a daily basis like we had in sometimes here in Israel. And although you tell them the stories a few years after, but uh, unfortunately, sometimes you have to tell them about things that just happened. And I remember that once we had a delegation uh, that came and we went to Hedera, it's a northern city, far away from Gaza Strip. And we had to open a supervision center, a war room that has to lead the, the people in this city once there is an emergency situation. And although it's not the most significant city in Israel that is going to face an emergency situation, but Rabbi Eckstein explained to the people who were in the delegation Explain what does it mean when a siren is wending off, is went off, and 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 you have to uh, to give instructions to people, and they have uh, two minutes, three minutes if it's far away from Gaza or from Lebanon, but what should be done if it's very close to the Gaza Strip? For example, from Ashkelon, the city that I'm talking with you now, which is thirty seconds. And you have to be very accurate and you have to be uh, all over the city because your victims are coming from the undisciplined people who are not running to the shelter, but trying to see the Iron Dome who is hitting their rockets down. But it's not 100% uh, proof of, succeed, of success. 
and uh, one rocket that uh, the Iron Dome is missing is going to hit a place that it might be a flood with people. And uh, he always used to say that the way that we should work and the way that we should uh, calculate our steps is not about the majority of people who are disciplined and we run to the shelter, but we have to ask ourselves about those who are far from the shelter, who are old to run to the shelter, how we can help those people. And when he used to explain it to delegations used to come from the United States, and he told them, I'm telling you, I used to listen to it. I said, he's doing it better than me. He, he certainly had a passion. Um, let me pivot back to your, to, well, you were just speaking in terms of it, on a personal basis, but relating to security. And in your introduction, uh, first of all, thank you for, for showing the, gra the, the graphics that you did, vividly depicting the, the threat from Iran in, in the east and to the north and to the south of us. And, and we're living with these unparalleled threats and certainly to a degree existential threats, but you also mentioned the various, not just geographic, but but uh, diplomatic and political uh, opportunities that are unparalleled in, in our history. Um, what can you share or, or, or discuss that are the main opportunities that allow us as Israelis and all of our friends, Jews and Christians all over the world, to understand how and why Israel is and will continue to be safer and stronger? Well, I think that uh, a very significant uh, detail must be told uh, to the people who are listening to me now. In the whole region, in the map that you've just seen, in all the countries around us, whether it's Syria or Lebanon or uh, West Bank uh, or Beit Lehem or any other place, the only country that the number of Christians is growing up is the state of Israel. In all other countries around us, the number of Christians who are uh, remaining living there and didn't leave is going down, dramatically down. I began my career in Shin Bet in 1976. In Bethlehem, it was about 75, 80% Christians and the rest were Muslims. Today, Bethlehem is with 80% Muslims and 20% Christians. That explains almost everything. The only country in our region that Christians are living and growing up, and they are uh, in a very, very uh, good situation in all terms, in service, in keeping their, uh, their uh, beliefs, in learning. It, the Christian community in Israel is the most educated level in Israel. And uh, I think that when you go uh, to the other country, if you look to Lebanon, it's a disaster. It's a crash country. If you look to Syria, it's a crash country. Syria, 10 years ago, was 24 million people. Syria today is 17 million people. In a decade, 7 million people left Syria left to, Lebanon, left to uh, Lebanon, left to Jordan, left to Turkey, and left to many other countries. In uh, Egypt, you know very well what does it mean to be a 
Copt Christian uh, under the tough uh, terror attacks that are uh, being launched from time to time. In all other countries, I'm telling you to be a Jew or to be a Christian, it's a very, very sad situation. And uh, it's not a surprise to us that they are trying to run away those who are able to do so. The problem, of course, is the majority cannot do it. And they have to remain there up until they, uh, they find a way or they are just uh, being killed, unfortunately. And uh, I think that uh, when we see the uh, new phenomena of building peace process with Arab countries, it's not that they are uh, watching us as a Jewish state that something has been changed. They have learned who is their enemy. And you know, in English and in Hebrew, we say the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It doesn't exist in Arabic. In Arabic, they say, which means me and my brother against our cousin and me and my cousin against the strangers. And we are the strangers. We, the Jews, we, the Christians, we, those who are not Muslims. What happened post the uh, attacks of Iran in the, in the Emirates soil, against Saudi Arabia, the involvement in Syria, the involvement in, uh, in uh, sorry for the clock that uh, rings behind me. It's a clock that uh, I took from my parents' uh, house. And that's, uh, that's the best memory that, that every hour, every half an hour, we remember the parents uh, just for the ringing. But uh, if I go back to what I just uh, said, when they understood those countries that Iran is the enemy, so finally, and it's happened only the last three years, they understood that the enemy of their enemy, I mean, if Israel, which used to be the enemy, is the enemy of Iran, so Israel can be their friend. And uh, it's the Emirates, it's Bahrain, it's uh, Oman, Sudan. And uh, hopefully Saudi Arabia and maybe some, uh, some more Arab countries will join the Abrams Accords in addition to the, uh, the one with Egypt and the one with Jordan. But we have to remember, Iran is a key country in our region. It's the number one uh, supporter, financer, and trainer of terrorists worldwide. It's uh, something that uh, began uh, years ago. And uh, if you ask me, what's the vision of Iran? And we are uh, Jews, Christians, Muslims, we understand something about religious vision. I think that the vision of Iran is one day to become the runners and the rulers of Mecca and Medina, the most holy places for Islam. And that's why they are trying to enclave Saudi Arabia, as uh, I showed you on the map, from south and from north. Israel is not the target. Israel is the excuse, the tool. In order to gain power amongst the 22 Arab countries, they need a, a case. Israel is a very good case. 
How do you how do you get support from Arab countries by hating Israel as the Jewish state? So we don't have any intentions to go anywhere. We are uh, here uh, for the last uh, 74 years since we've got our independence. By the way, we've got it in a very, very strong and painful fighting. Because when we've got the partition plan that was uh, confirmed by the United Nations in November 47, Israel, at that time, uh, the leadership of Israel before it became a state, accepted the partition plan. And I'm telling you, my dear friends, that the partition plan gave the state of Israel 55% of the land between the Mediterranean and Jordan Valley. It gave uh, not all parts of Israel that you know today. Even Jerusalem, according to the partition plan, was not under Israeli supervision. Try to imagine Jerusalem was not under our supervision. Half of the Galilee was not under, uh, under our supervision. Nonetheless, at that time, two years post the Holocaust, we just wanted a piece of land to bring the people from Europe to live in Israel, to find a piece of land. Thank God the Arabs rejected the partition plan and they waged a war against Israel and we went through an independence war that costed us 1% of the population at that time in Israel. 6,000 people in Israel at that time got killed among 600,000 people who lived in Israel at that time, adults, men, women, children. So it showed you that uh, if the Arabs were really wanted to create something different with Israel, if they were wanted to have uh, the partition plan as a basis to continue the relation between Arabs and Israel, we would live in a different situation. Even the Six Day War, Jonathan, that's just to demonstrate the, the, the situation here. The Six Day War was opened by Egypt, who blocked the straits who lead to the south gate of Israel at the Red Sea, kicked off the United Nations troops from Gaza Strip, and it was well known that it's going to, to be open the war. And in our region, the most uh, famous saying is, before they're going to have us for dinner, we are going to have them for lunch. And we waged the attack on the first day of the Six Day War, and we destroyed the Egyptian Air Force. Totally. But the president of Egypt called King Hussein of Jordan, told him that uh, they are winning the war. It's a phone call that was intercepted by the uh, Israeli uh, NSA. And he told him, King Hussein, we, Egypt, we are winning the war in the south. And uh, King Hussein, although he was warned by Israel, do not open fire from Jerusalem. We have no intention to open fire against Jordan. But King Hussein was sure that if the Egyptians are winning the war in the south, he has a very good opportunity to take back the area of, of uh, Jordan that was taken by Israel during the independence war. And he opened fire in Jerusalem. And within three days, three days, we got back to Jerusalem and to the whole area up until the Jordan Valley. 
So it shows you that uh, when we don't have peace treaty with our neighboring uh, countries, it goes very hard and very painful uh, by wars. But in our region, I can assure you, if you are weak, you won't survive. If you go to the Bible, you can see many tribes that disappeared. And uh, the reason why they disappeared, because they were too weak. We don't have any intention to be weak. We don't have any intentions to conquer other countries, but we are not going to uh, be back to the situation of the Holocaust that 6 million of our families, including all my family, were murdered just because nobody was there to help them. Nobody was there to help uh, the slaughtering of them. And uh, it's, a, it's a catastrophe. Catastrophe is a under, it's a, it's an undername uh, that uh, it's minimizing the situation. The Holocaust is the only word that you cannot use it in any other uh, connection except the Holocaust and the Second World War. So we are trying to build new relations with other countries to elaborate the relations that we do have today and to explain the whole world that Israel is going to leave, is going to flourish, is going to bring and to absorb people from all over the world who see Israel as their home. And uh, those who are trying to carry out terror attacks against Israel, it's not going to work. I always, uh, in the last 51 years of my life, I'm fighting against terrorists. And I'm telling you, it's a fighting that uh, helped and saved life of, I don't know, it's thousands, 10,000, I don't know how many, but it's uh, the network of countries like the United States, like some European countries who are fighting terrorists in a real way, we shall win. The good guys will always beat the bad guys. Thank you. That's, that, that, that is a great inspiring point that I would normally want to close with, but I have one more question. Um, not in an existential way and not from a physical security, but for the last two decades, Israel's been suffering a different kind of battle. Uh, the, the threat allegations of, uh, of apartheid, uh, the BDS movement trying to, to delegitimize our very existence. Uh, and, and most recently, last week, as you know, Amnesty International issued a scathing report, uh, which, which undermines the very legitimacy of the state of Israel because it refers to uh, so, sort of the, whole, the, the original sin of Israel and Israel's birth as being the penultimate moment when, when we became this apartheid state discriminating against our Arab citizens. Can you just briefly comment about that? Yeah, thank you, Jonathan, for raising this point. You know, as you said at the beginning, I am the head of the Israeli delegation to the IPU, to the Interparliamentary Union. It's a, in another label, it's, it's the, the United Nations of the Parliaments. It includes 179 countries. And we just had a conference in Madrid 
last November. And it was interesting to see, you know, it's uh, like in the United Nations, if you have a voting today uh, that says that Israel is a, is a Muslim country, you can get the majority of uh, for it, voting for it in the uh, United Nations Assembly. And uh, you, if you can, uh, you, you almost can reach literally everything. And during the IPU conference in Madrid, uh, they were also tried, they tried, been trying to speak about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And thank God I'm there uh, and, uh, as someone who is really familiar with the details, I fought back in a very tough way. But voice, as we say in, uh, in Hebrew, where my help is going to come from, they brought a member of the parliament from Yemen to the committee of the Middle East. And uh, he came uh, as a guest. He was not a member of the IPU. And they asked him to describe what's going on in Yemen. As you know, in Yemen, it's a chaotic country uh, fighting against each other attacking from Yemen, Saudi Arabia. Hezbollah is there from Lebanon, brought by Iran. The IRGC, the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps, are training the terrorists in Yemen. And he started to describe, thank God he did it in Arabic. So I didn't listen to the English translation. I listened to him. And he, for half an hour, gave the whole participants a briefing, you know, it's it was so authentic. Listening to a member of Yemen parliament, and he, at the end of his speech, he said, "I'm not sure that after my talk here, I'll be able to go back to Yemen. I might be killed if I land in Yemen and were captured by the uh, the terror organization." And after he uh, finished to describe, and he spoke in Arabic, I asked him in Arabic. It was a very, very odd situation because I listened to the English translator is translating me from Arabic to English. Never happened in my life. Anyway, I asked him in Arabic, is it all initiative by terror organization or there's anything or any one behind those two organizations. And he said, no, no, no. Thank you for your question. Iran is standing behind it. And trust me, he gave a, a description of the Iranian involvement that even if I would have bring the details, the most accurate details, it was not worth the way that he described this. So it means that when you are fighting the BDS and all other uh, sorry novelists in the world who are trying to describe what's going on here in Israel in a very biased way. And if you bring the facts and we are now working very hard to bring the facts. Uh, once you put the facts in the facts in front of the organization, in front of people, in front of those who are interested to know exactly what's going on here, 
that's the best way to win the war, even in this field. It's a very important field. And uh, when you bring people, whether from the evangelical from the United States or from many other countries, even from Asia, when you bring them to Israel and they land in Tel Aviv, they are shocked. They can't believe that that's the state that they have learned that uh, is apartheid because they see how many Arabs are working in Tel Aviv, how many Arab students are learning in Israeli universities, and how many how many uh, doctors, how many nurses, how many, uh, you, you can see them all over, all over. I remember Rabbi Eckstein, once we spoke about the minority tribe in Israel, the Jews, it's a minority of 150,000 people. And he decided to give scholarships to 100 students every year. Wow. And it's a, it's a scholar fund uh, that uh, after a, a very key person amongst the Jewish community. And he used to come every year to the ceremony that 100 students, males and females, by the way, more females than males. And he was so happy, he told me, Avi, you know, it gives me a good feeling that we are doing for Jews, for Arabs, for Jews, for Christians, for everyone. And that's, I think, something that uh, in Israel you can learn only if you know the facts. Because all others is Bob Mises, and you have to translate it because I don't know how to say it in English. Bob Mises, a uh... A myth, a legend. Uh, it's in Yiddish. Yeah, it's, it's Yiddish. One, one language, one language that you forgot to mention that I speak also. Ah, okay. <laughs> but it's, uh, but I, I'm telling you that once you know the facts, once you are able to tell the facts, once you are able to put the facts in front of key people, of leaders, all over the world, you know when you are confronting the facts, you know, it's hard to, uh, to fight back. I remember myself, and that's the last point, I was, as you said, uh, a fellowship at the Brookings Institute and uh, in Washington. It was uh, just uh, four years post uh, 9-11. And we spoke about uh, the Palestinian response to the 9-11. And I brought short video that was taken in Ramallah and other places. While in the United States, people are mourning, are trying to understand who are the victims, who are, who are the names of the 2,700 people who got killed. And you saw in Ramallah and refugee camps, festivals sending uh, sweets. And then I remember I told them, Yasser Arafat, at that time the president of the Palestinian Authority, he got a message from his people that looks bad all over the world and they should do something. So he said, okay, let's donate blood to the victims, to the injured people in the US. 
So they told him, but uh, Mr. Alafat, you are not allowed due to your medical situation, you're not allowed to give blood. He said, never mind, we shall fake it. And he had a very famous picture that he is with his hand giving blood. Everybody knew he's not giving blood because he's not allowed to. And, you know, that's something that it's a fact that uh, when we shared it uh, at that time, you know, they, you can't even laugh about it because it's, it, it's, it is so, so hard to, uh, to accept such a situation. And then I remember one of the former generals of the American uh, uh, military came to the stage and he said something which is very, very, uh, how to say, it's hard to accept it although it was very accurate. He said, I know what I'm going to say now is very complicated, but I'm standing behind every single word. It's inaccurate to say that all Muslims are terrorists, but it's very accurate to say today that all terrorists are Muslims. And that's something, and he asked if there are anyone here who can give me an example of a non-Muslim terrorist during the last years, please. It shows you that we are in a situation that we have to uh, confront a very, very biased situation by organizations who are trying to convince people worldwide from all religions, from all tribes, from all communities, that apartheid is existing in Israel. While those who are visiting Israel, learning about Israel, living in Israel, they know it's 180 degrees from the truth. Thank you. Thank you, Avi Dichter. Um, as an Israeli, thank you for your service to the country. I hope that we will have, me personally, through through uh, Genesis 123 Foundation, may have the opportunity and privilege to have you back. But right now, I'm just grateful and, and, and honestly envious that you had the really warm relationship with Rabbi Eckstein that you did and that brought, brought you to speak so passionately and share with us. I hope next time, whether it's the, the, the fourth anniversary or the 20th anniversary or whatever it may be, that you'll have other government titles uh, ahead of your name, but most importantly, that there'll be more grandchildren to add to your uh, to, to your bio. Um, thank you for 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 joining us tonight. Thank you very much. I want to pause in the conversation for just a moment to invite you to join us in one of the really incredible programs that we do as part of the Genesis One Two Three Foundation. This year, we have been going out all throughout the Judean mountains to show love to soldiers who are stationed keeping us safe from the threat of terrorism. It doesn't matter if we're in a burning heat wave or temperatures below freezing before the wind chill, they are out there guarding strategic points that have a high risk of terrorism. And thanks to the support of many people like you, we are pleased to bring them homemade hot soup in the cold of winter and cold drinks and sweet watermelon in the heat of summer. Any donation is meaningful and helps us to bless the soldiers. You can join us and donate at genesis123.co slash 
bless a soldier. That's genesis123.co slash bless a soldier. And when you do, you also have the opportunity to send along your own personal words of thanks and blessings to the soldiers guarding the land and protecting the people. Please join us. I'd like to move along uh, to some of our friends who've been waiting in America, uh, also to share some personal reflections. Um, Rabbi David Ellenson is the uh, uh, Chancellor Emeritus of the Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion and the past director of the uh, Schusterman Center. And uh, Rabbi Ellenson, thank you for, for joining us from New York today. It's really a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you very much, uh, <clears throat> Jonathan. It's really an honor to be here. Uh, thank you, Minister Knesset, Member Chaber Knesset, Dictor, for all of your work on behalf of the Jewish people and your words today. Uh, it's an honor to be here with uh, Christian brothers and sisters and Joel, uh, to you and the entire Eckstein family, uh, I express my ongoing sorrow as well as gratitude for uh, Yechiel's life. Uh, I'm going to speak somewhat briefly, but also personally. Yechiel and I were the best of friends uh, for almost 50 years. Um, we attended graduate school at Columbia University. And uh, actually, it's 45 years ago we met in the fall of uh, 1973. Yechiel was a uh, rabbinical student at Yitzchak Ohanan, uh, Yeshiva University's rabbinical school. I was a rabbinical student at Hebrew Union College, the liberal rabbinical school. As we talk about the expansiveness of Rabbi Eckstein, uh, he reached out in unique ways, not only to Christians and to Muslims, but he reached out to other Jews of different denominations as well. Sometimes you meet someone and we became instantly, uh, he was my Yadid Nefesh, uh, the friend of my soul in so many, so many ways. We became extremely close to one another. We engaged in study together, but even more significantly beyond his external work, Yechiel was, for me, the best and closest of friends. We shared intimate recollections with one another and sensibilities about all sorts of items. In terms of today, I remember very well when Yechiel left Columbia, he went to work for a while for the Anti-Defamation League. And it was there that he began to first carve out relationships with Christian sisters and brothers. Uh, coming as Yechiel did from a very, very, in some ways, closed and to some degree narrow Orthodox world to reach out to Christians like this was somewhat of a novelty, though it was interesting when Avi mentioned about Yechiel uh, playing the guitar. Uh, I can remember that part of our relationship was built on the fact that Yechiel also was part of a musical group during his student days at Yeshiva College. And during um, 
the Yom Kippur War, uh, Yechiel would often go to Israel and entertain the troops with his, uh, with his group during those years. I do want to say that Yechiel suffered to some degree a great deal in personal conversation because in Jonathan, I'm sure you can understand this, 40 and 50 years ago in the Orthodox community to reach out to Christians in the way that Yechiel did, there were a number of uh, Orthodox colleagues who, I won't say they formally issued a harem, formally issued a ban against Yechiel, but there were experiences he had during his years in Chicago I think it will suffice to say today that we're unpleasant. Uh, it is a little hard to believe 40 years later that these attitudes were uh, put forth against Yechiel for what it was he did. But he was a person uh, of great, great courage and integrity. And Yechiel was genuinely committed during all of these years to forging relationships with Christian brothers and sisters. Uh, and I speak to the reverends here, as he began to increase his activities and as he established his own foundation, he felt embraced and welcomed by so many of you. And he would tell me almost with tears of what it was for him to go to evangelical and other churches and to be welcomed and embraced as he was and with the support that was forthcoming, Yechiel was completely committed among other populations to the Jews of the former Soviet Union. The conditions under which they lived were horrific. Uh, he took many trips over there. He was committed to helping these persons when they became Olim uh, and uh, moved to Medina Israel, to the state of Israel. And he was always extremely grateful for the helping hand. Uh, and as the assistant mayor said earlier, the promote, the willing contributions that so many Christians made to aid the Jewish people as they, as we returned to our ancestral homeland in Eretz Israel and forged Medina Israel, the state of Israel. I'm going to end with just one story because I know that uh, there are others who are yet to speak. Uh, Yechiel was particularly fond of a halacha, the Jewish law, in uh, Maimonides' Mishnah Torah. And there, a phrase from Psalm 145, the ninth verse, I think it is, was quoted where Maimonides was asked, why is it that we are supposed to engage in acts of charity, tzedakah, and acts of decency and common goodness with our non-Jewish brothers and sisters? And Yechiel was fond of quoting Maimonides, who citing the Psalms would say, Tov Hashem Lakol, God is kind to all, God is good to all, Rachamav Alkol Ma'asav and his mercies, God's mercies are on all of God's creatures. For Yechiel, his Zionism, his particularism, his concern for the Jews in Medina Israel and the former Soviet Union, 
and for all who were impoverished knew no bounds. <clears throat> but Yechiel also understood that God stood in covenantal relationship with Christians and with others, and that this line from Psalms for him captured what the obligation was. Yechiel also liked very much a responsum, a Jewish legal opinion that I once taught him. I was very, very pleased that I could bring an element of Jewish knowledge to him that he did not know previously, given uh, Yechiel's broad expanse of Jewish knowledge. Joel, that didn't happen very often, but on this one occasion, it did. I had written uh, a paper on a rabbi named Osriel Hildesheimer. He is a street now in Jerusalem, Rehov Hildesheimer, but before he became a street, he was actually a person. He was the head of the Orthodox Rabbiner Seminar, the Rabbinical Seminary in Berlin. Uh, and in 1863, Rabbi Hildesheimer was asked the question, are the Jews of Ethiopia, are the Falasha of Ethiopia, are they Jews or are they not? And Rabbi Hildesheimer, based on any number of sources, said, yes, they are our Jewish sisters and they are our Jewish brothers. And in a line that he cited at the very end of his tshuva, his response, he said, they are our brothers and they are our sisters, they are our flesh. We are obligated to rescue them and in this way to bring them back to life. The work that Yechiel Eckstein did in his life was all about bringing the Jewish people with the help of his Christian sisters and brothers and with so many other persons in Medina Israel and the former Soviet Union, Yechiel understood that they were his flesh, his sisters, his brothers, and the task that Yechiel performed throughout his life was to bring them back to life and to rescue them. And for that reason, may Yechiel's soul constantly be bound up in the bond of eternal life. Joel, his memory will for, will for all of us always be a blessing. And for me, in my heart, Yechiel will always be remembered. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much, you Rabbi. Thank you so Ellen. much, David. Thank you. Um, I want to. I want to have the privilege of uh, calling upon Robert Nicholson. Uh, Robert is the president of the Philos Project and co-founder of Passages Israel. And uh, Robert, we're really thrilled that you're here. And uh, you know, one of the things that it's it, it it always is challenging to be one of the last speakers, but I have a feeling that we have so much material, if you will, regarding personal relationships with Rabbi with Rabbi Eckstein that we're not worried about you having to work on anything on the fly because you've got your own personal experience that we'd love to hear. I do, and Jonathan, thank you uh, for inviting me and Joel and the Eckstein family. I'm a, I'm a junior partner on this call. I, I feel like I, I probably knew him the least, but uh, luckily, unlike most people who only knew 
uh, Rabbi Eckstein from late night television here in the U.S. <laughs> or from those uh, airplane sleeves in Tel Aviv, uh, where he's probably most famously known. I did know him and uh, I was grateful to uh, have his friendship. I met him, I, I want to say, I was trying to think about it, if it was 2013 or 2014, relatively recently, uh, for the first time uh, at a coffee shop in Netanya. And Joel, I remember you were not there. He had snuck away from you. I th you, you were in the middle of something uh, and he, he, he came away and met me for coffee. And um, I remember that most specifically because it was so random. He didn't know me. I didn't have any organization at the time. We were introduced by a mutual friend who I had asked uh, to get me a meeting with him. And he took the meeting uh, and bought me coffee and sat there, um, unusual for someone of his position, and mostly listened. Uh, and I had a lot of questions. It was at this point, I was uh, thinking about the next generation of Christian friendship with the Jewish people. I was thinking about gaps in the relationship, work that still had yet to be done. And I was just kind of, uh, you know, pouring out uh, all of my thoughts to him. And he sat there very patiently uh, and listened to everything uh, that I said. And of course, he was larger than life for me at the time, someone who had done everything that was already said on this call, had, had paved the way, had been for years, uh, a voice, you know, crying in the wilderness, Kol Koei Bamidbao. And uh, on the Jewish side, which is a much, much harder thing to do, as Rabbi Ellenson uh, said here just a few moments ago. And so I was honored by uh, the meeting. I was especially honored that within maybe 15 minutes, he actually offered to hire me uh, the, right there in the coffee shop, which which was, I think, maybe my, my favorite memory of Rabbi Eckstein, just because it meant so much to me at the time. And I could, I could tell that what I was saying resonated with him and that although he'd done all of this work, I mean, it's just unbelievable for one human being to do in, in, or to at least catalyze all of what he did all over the world. Um, but he still felt like there was a lot more uh, to be done. And I think, you know, two things I'll say, and I'll, and I'll close, I don't want to take too much time here, but what I, what I love about him and I still think of him as sort of being out there, right? Um, and, and kind of standing over all of the work that all of us are doing is that he was a man of action. You know, it's very, it, you know, it's not so novel. It was more novel back when he started, but even then it was not novel, especially after 1965 and Nostra Tate to say that Jews and Christians should talk to each other. But that's what was so genius about what Rabbi Eckstein built was that he, he went much further than that, right? He wasn't just interested in interreligious conversation. That's the go-to for most people. Let's sit around a table and, uh, you know, compare notes. We'll talk about theology or history. But what he did was rather than confront the Christians face to face, he brought the Christians alongside him, right? Shoulder to shoulder and said, let's walk, let's walk in a direction. Let's do something together. And along the way, we'll get to know each other, right? We'll talk. I'll talk about my people. You can talk about your people and we'll, we'll get to know each other, but we'll get to know each other in the context of action. He was a man of action. And this is what I love so much about him and his work um, was he was always doing. And there were just a few anecdotes mentioned here on the call about some of what he did, um, but he did, right? He was decisive. He was action oriented. And for me, when I think about Rabbi Eckstein, it's that, right? He was a doer and I, I aspire to be that. 
But I, the second thing I want to mention is that he was, and I think he himself understood himself as as part of a larger historical movement, right? And, and on the cutting edge of that movement, you know, starting back when he started to initiate this relationship, um, you know, doing it in that in that kind of tangible way, but but understanding that he himself was a kind of forerunner, right? He was he was leading something that would carry on and get much much bigger after his death, as we've seen it has, right? In the course of his lifetime and now after his life, this movement is growing, this historic, uh, call it reconciliation uh, between Christians and Jews as people of faith, as people who have, a, you know, lots of differences, but the same basic vision about what we want to see in the world. And, um, and, and so I think that as great as he, he was, he he was humble about what what he was doing, right? He understood that there was there was a something much bigger uh, that he was part of, and I think that that was the nature of him offering uh, to hire me, right? Was to say that this movement needs to to carry on, right? There needs to be lots of people like him, like me, doing this work and and really changing uh, the world, changing history. Not to be too dramatic about it, and. Um, I really love that about him, right? The, the bigness with which he looked at all of the work that he was doing. And I'm not even speaking about all of the good, the concrete good that he did for so many people, not just Jews. Everybody knows about the Holocaust survivors and all that, but also in Israel for Christians. It was mentioned for Druze, right? And just everybody, I, just a great, great man. And I'm honored to have known him a little bit and to play a part in the movement that he helped to start. And I hope this movement continues to grow and that his memory will will be a blessing. So thank you. Robert, thank you for sharing that. You reminded me, of course, uh, a couple of instances uh, when he also wanted to bring me on for some sort of job. And I think the last time it was sort of a quick conversation. Why are you not working for us? He would say, and that 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 does remain one of the greatest compliments um, in my in my life and in my career. Um, let me just uh, quickly share my screen. We have one more video. Uh, and while I share it, hopefully I'll do it correctly. I will introduce Dr. Pat Robertson, the founder of CBN, 700 Club, and Regent University. This is Pat Robertson of the 700 Club. I want to tell you on this anniversary of the passing of my good friend, Yekiel Eckstein, he was a wonderful man of God, but he saw the thing that was so important that the evangelical Christians loved the Jewish people. And there's a innate love for the people of God. And Yekiel saw that and he established the Holy Land Fellowship of Christians and Jews so that he could bring us together. And uh, I, I counted him as a dear friend. As a matter of fact, I think we were able to give him uh, what may have been the first large contribution to start the ministry that he has because he has built bridges between Christians and Jews that are uh, being carried on by his wonderful daughter. And I just want to tell you right now that I miss this dear man of God. I congratulate him for the life that he lived. And I thank the Lord that we can be together, that Christians and Jews can understand that we serve the same God, 
that we're descendants from Abraham, that we partake of the same uh, uh, root and vine that God Almighty has established for his chosen people. And so on this anniversary of the passing of my good friend, I just say that I am grateful for his life. I'm saddened by his passing, but I congratulate him and his daughter on the work that they're doing to continue the work of the Christian Fellowship, the Holy Land Fellowship of Christians and Jews. God bless all of you. Thank you very much. Um, just before we really truly wrap up, um, Joel, I'm going to ask you to say something, but I want to just, there, there were many, many people who could not join today uh, for timing or other, other issues. And a number of them, more than I can count and more than I'm going to share, asked me to share various comments that I'm just going to read in most cases, uh, in most cases without attribution, but the affection is too wide not to. Rabbi Eckstein had a vision and purpose which I share and I need to see now more clearly. I thank God for the life, leadership, and legacy of Rabbi Eckstein. May we follow in his footsteps. He went where other rabbis feared to, trend, feared to tread. I appreciate his boldness in calling Christians and Jews to come together. I did not know the rabbi personally, but certainly I have been touched by his heart and his ministry. He was a great person. Rabbi Eckstein opened the door for so many other advocacy, welfare, and business partnerships between Christians and Israel. Thank you for putting this together. Rabbi Eckstein is someone to always be remembered and cherished. I do not have the privilege of knowing Rabbi Eckstein, but our work of building bridges benefits daily from his legacy. His legacy lives on. Thank you for honoring my brother's memory and for continuing to pursue my brother's passion for Jewish-Christian relations. Thank you for embracing Christians. We are your friends and we always will be. Shalom to the Eckstein family for being bridge builders. A great, amazing man, a blessing to many people around the world. He was an incredible source of inspiration for all who knew him. He was a true mensch and a generous, humble soul. He was kind to all, bless his memory. He was beloved, sensitive, and a devoted friend. How important his, his work is to the world. Thank you for sharing your truth. May your legacy and life work continue. Rabbi Eckstein rests his duty on earth and has greatly impacted many people. May Hashem bless him and keep the family of Rabbi Eckstein. A great man, I'm grateful for his work. I praise God for his life and for the plans which God fulfilled through him. Rabbi Eckstein was an inspiration. He left a trail for Jewish Christian relations to follow. He is greatly missed. It was my honor and privilege to have a close personal relationship with this giant of a man. And from Dr. Stephen Muncy, often he would come to the Family Christian Center and thousands would listen to him in multiple services. His passion for the people of the seed of Abraham would come beaming through his tears, wisdom and his voice. His bridge building to one, to one culture to another was his gift. He brought Christians, Jews, and political leaders together to understand the covenant of God for the land of Israel. The rabbi was a visionary, not only while he lived, but was determined for his legacy to go beyond him. Today, his DNA rises in his daughter, Yael, to become the voice of Esther to the ears of the world for people of Israel. 
Rabbi Eckstein's anniversary of transition has not dampened the spirits of his partners or those who hear his sound in the voice of Yael. He lives through her eyes, vision, wisdom, and passion. The calling and the dream lives on, Christians for Jews. And finally, I had the honor of working with Rabbi in the founding stages of the fellowship. He and I spent hours together conceptualizing how to reach a Christian audience. When the former Soviet Union began to release Jews, we began to consider the challenge of potentially resettling 100,000 Jews. We never could have imagined there would be more. Yet, as, these as important as these programs were, the best part of these meetings was hearing Rabbi Eckstein share his heart. He had tremendous vision, and like many entrepreneurs, wanted to take every, every opportunity simultaneously. No matter how successful our meeting went, they would always end with a list of challenges we still needed to address. The list was always growing because Rabbi Eckstein's compassion knew no bounds. I treasure the memory of those time. I am a better person for having spent time with him. I miss him greatly. Dr. George Puya. Joel, before we wrap up, what would you like to say? I have... I have no words. I'm so um, I'm I'm so grateful for this, and so emotional for me. And I I just want to give a big thank you to everybody for being here. He loved all of you so much, and I, it it it's really meaningful. And I'm I'm grateful. I I just want to to say it's hard for me to relate to everything that I've heard here. All of the stories about him and how he changed and, and and built bridges and and the amazing things that he did but that wasn't the that wasn't my husband my yechiel at home i lost my husband it, that it it didn't it wasn't the visionary that was living at home it was a different hat um and you know we're, we're used to hearing different kinds of stories that uh, uh, from tragedy you grow stronger or from tragedy you you know I, I couldn't relate to all those words also and people trying to comfort me in the first year or even two years I couldn't see I, I couldn't see a future for myself and in one in one moment that day when I got home and found him dead on the floor was a shock and a total you know life as I knew it ended that day I, I'm not saying my life ended but life as I knew it just ended everything my whole world just collapsed in one moment and I, I learned very, very slowly to go up again, to get to become stronger and went through a total transformation. Today, I, I feel my responsibility. You know, first, first, before that, I think that I learned a lot from Yechiel. He taught me, I, I was already going through a small transformation even with him. It's, I, I started feeling as though he prepared me for life without him. It's a very strange feeling. But um, today, as I grow stronger, I feel a need to help other women 
in my situation, other widows that are at the beginning of their journey, comforting them and strengthening them through my support groups. I have different support groups in Spanish, English, French, all my uh, mother tongues. And um, and that's what I feel my my calling is now, my shlichut. Uh, and that's what's um, giving me strength also by writing my book that'll be out soon, um, all with the purpose of helping other widows. And it's, um, today it's, it's gratifying and it's uh, uh, humbling also and uh, everything with the Achil inside me, feeling that he's still pushing me forward and, and helping me through this journey. And thank God I'm okay today. And I can tell other people and other women that you're going to be okay. It's a different life, but it's also a good one. And I will always have you feel inside me and will always remember him as my Yechiel. So thank you all again for being here. Very meaningful for me. Thank you, Joelle. And thank you, of course, for helping to to uh, make this possible. I realized as people were speaking that I had made a note that I'm supposed to make some concluding comments, but I neglected to make notes to make concluding comments. So I, I, I'll just say as follows and then introduce um, introduce our final speaker. Um, Rabbi Ellenson, one of the things that I particularly appreciated what you said, many things, but how you observe that from his perspective, Rabbi Eckstein's perspective, coming from the Orthodox Jewish community in which he did and worked and, and was ordained, that it was particularly difficult. And, uh, and, and it's not only in the, within the Orthodox community. Um, it is not yet intuitive among, I would still argue, the majority of Jews that we should be doing what we're doing, building bridges between Jews and Christians. And I like to joke sometimes that my friends look at me with three raised eyebrows, not, not fully understanding, not fully trusting, yet terribly curious. And I pray that the curiosity will, will overcome the, the, the generations of, of um, distrust and, and the lack of understanding. But until that point, until this becomes regular, until it's no longer remarkable to have Jews and Christians together in fellowship, building bridges on all of those important foundational things which we have in common, I, I, I continue to strive and I'm and I, bold and confident enough that everyone here and, and I pray that everyone watching also shares this with me, that, that our goal needs to be to continue to carry the torch that Rabbi Eckstein not just carried, but the, he ignited. And personally, I will always be indebted to Rabbi Eckstein because very honest and going back to what you said, Rabbi Ellenson, I don't know if I would have had the fortitude to stick out doing doing what I'm doing uh, 35 uh, or, 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 or or more 40 years ago. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, we're going to conclude by introducing Pastor Kurt Hudspeth, who is the um, uh, senior pastor at Four Winds Bible Church, the host of the God Family Country Radio Show, and I'm privileged to have as a board member of the Genesis 123 Foundation 
to close us out in prayer. Thank you all for participating. Thank you, Jonathan and Joel, and on behalf of the entire panel, it was a blessing uh, to be here. And although I didn't know Rabbi, I never had the opportunity to meet him. I was very much aware of him. And so by you sharing all of your thoughts, I feel like I know him so much better uh, now, especially the trials and the tribulations that he went through. We lost another very dear rabbi this year, Rabbi Ariel Scheinberg, who is my mentor and very dear friend. And um, a lot of the experiences, Rabbi, that you shared today are were experiences that I've seen uh, that uh, Rabbi Scheinberg and others like him uh, that have a desire to be such a blessing uh, to so many people. So I thank you all for that. It's a great privilege that I might be able to close our, our prayer uh, in prayer with us today. And I pray that you will accept and know uh, that it comes from the bottom of my heart. Lord, I come humbly, Father, before you, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. May they always prosper who love you, Father. I pray for the peace within your walls and the prosperity within your homes. And for the sake of my brethren and companions, I pray peace be within them. For I know he who keeps Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. Your promises to us, Lord, tell us that you have loved us with an everlasting love. And therefore, Lord, with loving kindness, you have drawn us together, Christians and Jews, your elect, to look after one another and bless one another. For you have told us very clearly in your covenant to Abraham that you would bless those who bless Israel and that you would curse those who curse Israel. May my Christian brothers and sisters never forget that we are debtors. For if the Christians have been partakers in the spiritual things, their duty is to also minister to our Jewish brothers and sisters in material things. May we never forget that, Lord. And may all of us never forget that we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that my prayer and my blessings for peace for over all the Christians and Jews, not only here today with us, but all around the world, may they be blessed abundantly. I pray for all of this in your holy name. Amen. 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 God bless you. And I, I appreciate it so much to be a part. What a, what a blessing this day was. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Kurt. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Have a great night and rest of your day. God bless you. Thank bless you. you. Thank you. If you've stayed with us this long, you deserve a reward. Beginning this year, the Genesis 123 Foundation is offering you a special gift. Each month, we'll be giving away a special volume from Jonathan's bookshelf. Please go to the Inspiration from Zion social media and like and follow us. When you comment and share the link, to this program there on any of the platforms, we will select one winner at random to receive a special book from my bookshelf, something that you will really cherish and find of interest to connect you to Israel. We're grateful that Inspiration from Zion is sponsored by our friends at the Willow Run Greenhouse in Culpeper, Virginia. If you're in the area and need something that a greenhouse has, please pop in and get it from them or just go to say hi and thank them for helping make programs like this possible. Also, special thanks to the Coin family for their meaningful sponsorship. 
inspiration from Zion and all the Genesis 123 Foundation programs are made possible by donations. So please consider joining us to help continue the dialogue and to build bridges. This episode is sponsored by one of the guests who happened to be on the podcast, uh, excuse me, the um, webinar originally when we ho- when we hosted it and found that it was so important, he wanted to be sure that we we made it into a podcast for more people to be able to listen. So thank you for that. And if you'd like to be a f- sponsor of a future episode in honor or memory of a loved one or a special occasion, please be in touch with us at inspirationfromzion at gmail.com. We'd always love to hear your comments as part of a dialogue and invite you to send any questions as well, especially questions you have about Judaism for our Ask the Rabbi programs. Please share this with others who you know who will also find it of interest. And please join us right here as we continue to bring you more meaningful conversations about unique topics relating to Israel that you won't hear anywhere else. Wherever you are in the world, I pray that you and your loved ones are all safe and healthy and send my blessings from right here in the Judean mountains. Thank you and God bless you.